thank you for letting us in. <laughs> and uh, uh, Dorothy and I have been part of BBC for 19 years so far. Uh, and so uh, it's great to get the opportunity to open the word and also uh, seek for the word to open us up. What we're... All right, let's see how this goes. Ah, it works. Pagia magic. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so I'm just getting healing from all the bad experiences of early days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what uh, we're looking at is how God uh, encounters, how God visits us into our lives. And the uh, particular passage we're going to look at tonight is in Acts chapter 10 which deals with the household of uh, one uh, Cornelius. And uh, God visits us in differing ways. Uh, he, he comes by just turning up, uninvited. Sometimes he comes very invited. Help! <laughs> Come. Other times he encounters us by cutting across the path that we are on and uh, making not just a, a cross cut on our path in life, uh, but he makes it into a crossroads for us. Uh, there are times that uh, he confronts us. There are times that he comforts us, but his encounters are life-changing. particular verse or a motto uh, or if it works for you, a mantra, <laughs> that'll get someone's attention, <laughs> is this uh, words that Paul says. And he says these words, I, take, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Let's say that one together. You can read it there, right? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. And what he's talking about, he's talking about he is on a life proje projection and journey. And in fact, the story is in Acts chapter 9. And God encounters him. He gets blown off his horse, literally. He's in the dust blinded. He's taken into the city and he prays and fasts. And after three days, he receives his sight. He acknowledges the Lord Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus. He not only becomes a follower of Jesus, but in the book of Acts, particularly from the 13th chapter onwards, we're dealing with the 10th tonight, but from the 13th chapter onwards, he works that out and works it out and works it out. And so he talks in the 22nd chapter and the 26th chapter of Acts of how he's still after what God got a hold of him for. Encounters are not to be just put down to experience and then wave goodbye to, but they are uh, points in which God, in his graciousness and kindness, breaks in and he puts in front of us and he puts inside of us himself in ways that enable us and empower us to keep on going, to keep pursuing what we're after. Uh, 
And the particular uh, motto I'm suggesting here is, I press on to take a hold of that for what Christ Jesus took a hold of me for. He cut across my path. He took a hold of me, but I haven't got a hold of yellow. He's got a hold of me for. So I'm holding on so I get a hold of him. <laughs> we'll stop. We'll mess it up after that. <laughs> as, we, uh, as I mentioned, that uh, encounters too are often unplanned and unexpected meetings or visitations. And it's the uh, act... It's easy to read it, this one. <laughs> so encounters are unplanned or unexpected meetings, visitation in the act of encountering or an instance of being visited. That's a lot of words. But that is that connection with God that is made. In the series we've been talking, and uh, last week uh, Rob spoke to us from uh, the encounter, angel encounter, and the encounter that Moses has in chapter 3 of Exodus. But the heart of what we're looking at as we go through this time is angels and angel encounters. In, and I want to spend a little bit of time on looking at what are angels. Angels have a significant place in... Ooh, come for walkies. Yeah. Repent. No. <laughs> Angels have a... I haven't fought, lost my point. I'm not just an old fellow who can't walk. <clears throat> what were we saying? Angels are a significant place in particularly the understanding of the gospel and the spread of the gospel in our New Zealand culture. Uh, probably the most significant person that's been identified as an apostle in the history of New Zealand is T.W. Ratna. You may have heard of the Ratna Church, read something of the Ratna Movement. T.W. Ratna was a man that God cut across his path. And he had a dramatic uh, conversion, Damascus Road, Paul-style experience, and a radical change in not just the way he lived or what he believed, but how he preached and how God worked with him. There is a recorded over 3,000 major healings took place under his ministry. And he was not only committed to that, but he had a, a central passion that took angels on board. And he uh, would preach the gospel. Uh, has anyone ever been to Ratnapa here? If you haven't been, yeah, as a local person, it's easy to find. You go to Wellington and you take the wrong turn when you get to Bulls. <laughs> and by the time you wake up where you are, you're pretty close to right in the park. Go, go and visit it sometime. And he had this uh, encounter with God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and angels. And so if you ever go to right in the park, it's, a, it's an amazing place, amazing. The movement touched over 60,000 people. At, uh, up till steam trains left us, there would be a train from the North Island and the South Island that would converge on Ratna. 
and they would pick up and they'd be full of Ratna followers who would go for the annual January Hui. And he was committed to the call, not just in believing in Jesus, but in coming to, to God, Te Atua, coming to Hekaraiti, Jesus Christ, coming and experiencing Wairua Tapu and acknowledging the work of loyal angels. And that is uh, what he said. That, that is a significant impact uh, in our history, but also angels are a significant vacuum in, in our understanding. So, what's with angels? Some things about angels. Firstly, angels exist. That's deep, eh? <laughs> angels exist. There are angels. Whether you believe in them or not, it has nothing to do with their existence. Yeah. Well, let me say it again if it's good. <laughs> Whether you believe in them or not, it has nothing to do with their existence. Because they are created by God. They're created by God, for God, and for his service to minister uh, in his call and requirements. They're created by God. Not, they're not eternal, but they're created in the time before us. And in the uh, sense of what some people try to say, uh, eternity past. Angels are carried by God. I tell you what, tell the guys upstairs to change the design. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Angels are messengers of God. See, they come to bring God's message. They don't come to preach the gospel. You and I have given that challenge. But to bring messages of direction, of understanding. And they don't come to dialogue, they come to give us a message. And we'll look at accounts of how that uh, takes place over these weeks. They are messengers of God. They are primarily messengers or ministers of God's goodness. Hallelujah. Primarily God's goodness. We sing about God's goodness. They come to bring they message like that. <laughs> hey, Rob, you ever met an angel? No. You ever had an encounter with an angel? No. Not yet? Not yet. Not yet, yeah. yeah. I've had a couple of encounters with angels. I'll talk about one. Last century, which isn't that far away for some, we were pastoring a church down in the Cavity Coast, Dorothy and I, and we had two children in those days. We have three now. But uh, we'd gone to, to church this particular Sunday night to a country church. And we were living in Levin, and we'd gone down to a place called Tehoro which is now a suburb, but it was a farming village. And we'd been there. We'd preached away to the folks. I, I learned something preaching to farmers, dairy farmers. For a while, I remember complaining and saying 
to Dorothy, you know, I get up to preach and they go, <laughs> and then when they finish, <laughs> wake up again, and they tell me on the way out, great message, Pastor, and I feel like saying, come out lying, spirit. <laughs> you just, how true was it? And so Dorothy helped me by saying, John, actually do you a favour. <laughs> They've been up since four in the morning. They've milked twice and they take the, the trouble to come. So I thought, hmm, there's got to be a solution to this. I'm not off the track. This is the preamble to the story. <laughs> and it's got to be a solution to this because I'm an Aucklander. I'm an ex-businessman. I, I, I can do that. I've done the seminars. <laughs> and I had to, so I came up with this idea. Instead of singing and then preaching while they sleep, we'd have one introductory chorus, short song that was, and then I'd preach while I was still awake. <laughs> and then I'd finish uh, about 20 minutes into the service, and then we'd stand up and sing, because if they're standing up singing, they wouldn't go to sleep standing up. <laughs> and, and it worked. The church grew. <laughs> Hallelujah. We were driving home from one of these events. We had a thing called a Ford Popular, which is... A good old, you know, rubbish car. <laughs> and and we're driving home in this, this car. And the kids were asleep. Dorothy was asleep. And... Uh, I've been listening for 55 years. I know what it sounds like. <laughs> Meanwhile... Let's get back to driving. <laughs> Actually, we came in the same car tonight. <laughs> yeah, back to driving. So we're driving along this. And as I'm driving along, in the total darkness area, no villages where we go, nothing there, all of a sudden, the car is filled with a presence. Yeah. And just sense the it was a little car. We didn't have seat belts. They weren't invented, but we were so packed in it didn't matter. <laughs> but this presence just filled the car. And a voice spoke either to my mind or heart and simply said, pull over to the left. The next car around the corner will be on your side. So I pulled over to the left, still driving, and park on right where we were. Dorothy wakes up and says, what's happening? And I said, an angel just spoke to me and told me the car was going to come round and I was to pull over to the left. And she said, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wired away. God had sent a messenger. The angel didn't deliver me. The angel delivered the message. My obedience delivered me and our family. One of the things about angels as we go through the series is, yes, there are encounters. And God wants to encounter us 
Not that we need to tick off an angel. It may happen. One of the keys we learn is God delivers us by our obedience to the Trinity and to his messengers that he may send along to us. What's with angels? They are ministers of, good old word here, God's providence, God's kind, gracious provision. Angels are, first thing is they are not. They're not glorified human beings. We have a lot of common humour that says, you know, well, maybe you'll become an angel when you die. No, those jobs are already taken. <laughs> There's no vacancies because at one act in time, God created the angelic world. That's it. They are not glorified human beings. And we see instances through Scripture where people respond and begin to bring worship. Uh, one of them, for example, is in Revelation 19.10, where John falls down and he begins to worship and the angel says, don't do that. Worship God for the testimony of God is the spirit of prophecy. You have something to give that I don't have to give. They are not glorified human beings. They are, oh, we've had that, right? They, here's a great word, incorporeal. It, it might help you. Uh, if you watch the chase, <laughs> better still get a job and miss it. <laughs> incorporeal. Incorporeal is simply just one of those big words that it means a being without a body. As humans, we are corporeal. We are in spirit, soul, and body. We come packed into this container. Sometimes we used to talk about people with big puku, pukanui, you know, as a, a corporation. <laughs> I, I had a, uh, there was a lot more of me one stage some years back. I was over 16 stone, if you know what stones are. <laughs> and uh, one of my jokes I had was, my doctor told me to keep an eye on my stomach and I put it where it was easy to see. <laughs> but I... He didn't respond to that joke at all. <laughs> he put me on a diet. <laughs> right. But they are beings, they don't have a body. Important. They're spirit beings, but they are divinely created messengers of God. They may have been seen uh, in what is a physical form, seen in physical actions, but they are not physical. They are spiritual beings. They are soul and spirit, less body. They exist as a company. They are not a race. <laughs> and that becomes important uh, in understanding what the fall of angels is about. But they are a company. That means they are 
individuals that are interconnected and interact, but they're not, there's no race, there's no humanity. There's a difference between humans and angels. We all descend from, here's a word from theology if you want to try it, <laughs> a federal head. <laughs> that means there's someone who is the head, Adam and Eve, or Adam and Adam. <laughs> they, they are the, uh, and we descend from that, different generations. That's why uh, the more we seek to operate in our country effectively, as we fuck a papa becomes important. Uh, one of the things that influenced the gospel first preached in, in this country was Matthew and uh, Luke's ones because they have fuck a papa. They have descent. Angels don't have that. They are a company, not a race. And when they rebelled against God, when they sinned, they didn't do it as a humanity like we have. They did it as individuals, as members of the company. They are greater than humans in knowledge, though they're not omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't have full So they have greater knowledge than us, but they don't have omniscience. They are stronger than humans, but they're not omnipotent. They have great power, great strength, but they are not all-powerful. God is omnipotent. They are, are more noble than humans, but they're not omnipresent. They can't be present anywhere than where they are. They, they may appear to be... Here's another word for the... Ubiquitous. Yeah. I learned that word when I was about 11 because it was in a book called Wind in the Willows. <laughs> Mr. Toad. It's a big, big word. Learned to say it later, I found out what it meant. <laughs> Just appearing everywhere but not present anywhere than where they're present. But God is omnipresent. He is fully present. Then with angels, how are we going? Oh, hurry up. <laughs> angels. The, uh, the classifications of angels, the firstly is there are good angels, ones that are loyal to God. There's the cherubim. There is the seraphim. Work with me, right? There is ones that are called living creatures or the living creatures. There's the archangels. There's a group that are called the watchers, sort of like a TMO in the sky. <laughs> they're, they're, they're aware of the big picture. And there's a group called the, the sons of God. There's not only good angels, there is evil angels. And the doctrine of angelology has a subset inside of its discipline called demonology. Demonology does not have its own discipline and theology. Important to, it fits in as it describes uh, the, the rebellious or fallen angels and spirits. 
So evil angels, there's some that are kept in prison. So that means they're already restricted and brought into focus play. Incidentally, the book of Revelation tells us that a third of the host of heaven fell. Now, we know enough math to know if you've got a whole one and you cut out a third, you've still got how much? Work with me. <laughs> Two-thirds. And have some of those in prison. There is a greater obedience to God in his creation than there is demonic opposition. Important to get. Not playing denominational, <laughs> demonic opposition down, but we need to begin to see from the heavenly perspective and not just heaven up there, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and God at work encountering through angels. There are those kept in prison. There are angels that are free. They, they trouble. They uh, wrestle. They seek to hold it. Um, sway over nations and peoples. There are demons and there's Satan and that's enough for them. <laughs> right, let, let's pick up the, the reading. Time you stood up. All rise. <laughs> All rise. We're going to read this. We can do this. Three, two, one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him, had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Please be seated. Caesarea Philippi, a man called Cornelius, a Roman officer, a commander, a man that had a household, but a man also that reached towards the God of Israel. And he didn't become uh, what's called a proselyte. He reached from where he was. He fits into a group that are called God-fearers. And he not only held God in awe, he also sought to walk in his ways and follow them. Uh, he was not just an individual, uh, but his life 
and the life of his servants and the life of his slaves and the life of his soldiers were intertwined together. And they had been seeking to find out more of the truth of God. God sends an angel to his house. And he says, Cornelius gets his attention big time. In verse 4, he stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. You haven't earned something, but they've come up with God's heart attention. Now send some men back to Joppa and bring a man called Simon. And there's two Simons in the house, so bring the right one. <laughs> so that's uh, Peter gets defined there. And the angel spoke to him, then he was gone. He shared it with those with him who understood enough of the man to listen to him and to follow his directions for what was taking place. When God initiates, he just doesn't initiate, he initiates several actions to bring convergence, to, to, to bring that, uh, his purpose together. And so we have our Cornelius' experience, but we also have in verse 10, I'll just move that off. All right. In, in verse, uh, verse 9 onwards, back in Joppa, Peter's waiting for lunch. It's taking a while to come. Cornelius has dispatched people already to go to, to get him, and he goes to sleep. People can do that in prayer meetings. <laughs> and uh, he goes to sleep, and there's this vision, and it's a vision of, of a, like a sheet, four corners, like a sail we you might use at home to get the sun off us when it comes. <laughs> and uh, he uh, sees in... So there's all kinds of creatures. In those days, it was a bit like Craig Vernal. You've got to kill it for yourself to eat it. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, he sees, and some of them are clean animals. Others are unclean animals. And a voice says, rise, kill, eat. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that because I've never eaten anything unclean. And God runs it by another time. God, Peter gets a few threes, doesn't he? <laughs> and then, then he, he runs it by another time there. And then the sheet's gone. He's waking up realizing it's not just a, a hungry man's dream. He's wondering about the meaning of the vision in verse 17. And then the men from Cornelius. They turn up at the door and uh, they ask, we're looking for Simon, also known as Peter, the different Simon we want. And uh, Peter's still thinking about the vision as he's walking down the outside steps of this uh, eastern home. And the three men are looking for him. But he just doesn't go. The text tells us the spirit of God. 
not now an angel, but the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God says to him, they're looking, go with them. Don't just meet them now, but go with them. The request, because I have sent them. And so they, they go down and they explain the story. We're, we're rolling on. They head off to the, uh, the, um, the, the place, back to Cornelius' place, and they find a crowd of people there. But let's just uh, look at this, and we will have said enough for tonight. <laughs> what role do the elements play in the biblical story? The power of obedience. First element is obedience, acting out what God has said to us. We have two sets of ears. Did you know that? You have these ones and you have ears of the heart. And obedience comes from hearing in the heart and acting that out. And so one of the things we see, if we could explore that as homework, there is the power of obedience. Another thing that's taking place here is the gospel to the Gentiles. It's the third geoethnic expansion. Oh, hallelujah. Let me quickly sort this one. Acts chapter 2 is the story of the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit. In the book of Acts, there are four Pentecosts. There's, in chapter 2, there is the Jerusalem Pentecost. Remember, Jesus said, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the furthest part of the earth. So chapter 2 gives us the Jerusalem Pentecost, in which the Spirit comes, they're empowered, they worship God, there's uh, the speaking in tongues of God's goodness and glory is, is in that. Then in chapter 8, there is what's called the Samaritan Pentecost, and in Samaria, there is a visitation there following the evangelism and the spirit falling and the empowering of the spirit. Remember Jesus, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Then in Acts chapter, where we are, 10, there is the Gentile Pentecost where the spirit, you're going to have to read this for homework now, <laughs> the spirit will fall on them and they will speak in tongues, they will glorify God, they will come to baptism, just like happened in chapter 2. The, the experience of Jerusalem is in Samaria, it is now in Cornelius' house in the Gentile world. And then there is, of course, the fourth one, we're not looking at tonight, but it's in Acts chapter 19, where it is the, <clears throat> the Pentecost of, uh, of the, the furthest nations, third Pentecost. Folks, Jesus is Lord over the church, but the Holy Spirit is Lord in the church. Let's say that one together. We could do that. Jesus is Lord over the church. The Holy Spirit is Lord in the church. And that's enough for tonight. Would you stand? I'll lead us in prayer and we'll worship some more. Thank you, guys.
Father, we thank you you've called us out of darkness into light. We thank you that we see tonight you send an angel, you send messengers of your providence and care, and our capacity to not just obey the angel, but to obey the sender, you who sent them. Father, we pray as a church and as individuals, we will hear your voice clearly. We will act obediently. And we pray that we will have a motto in our hearts that says we seek to lay hold of what you have laid hold of us for in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your time.